and it's not fair um, to all of you that we want to talk to. We're just one of the things we were sharing there. It's been so exciting to see, and um, we're getting a lot of testimonies in this way. And that is when a father is under attack and a father is in bondage. It's amazing how many of his family members are being attacked in the very same way that he didn't even know about. So it's been exciting to see, uh, I was just sharing a medical doctor and the irrational fears that he had and how he finally came to get set free just a few months ago. And how his own children, he realized, were each one was struggling with irrational fears. And he was able to, to break it over his children after he himself came to freedom over his fears. We were looking at resentments and bitterness. And we looked at the, the um, bitterness as a, as a response of being hurt, going through some real pain in my life, and not responding properly, not drawing from God's grace, but resisting God's grace to, res to respond properly. And we said the first step was to ask God to bring to my mind, are there people out there that have hurt me that I've not fully forgiven from my heart? Are there any there? That's step number one. You know, is there anyone? And I need to release those people to God to let God deal with them. Step number two we're going to look at in Matthew 16, or Matthew 18, I'm sorry. In Matthew 18, there's a, it's a, a, a chapter with a lot of wonderful stories in it. It talks about the angels assigned to children that behold God's face in heaven. I believe that children have, and adults have angels. I, I personally believe that I have a guardian angel. Uh, I believe that uh, Rick Hockenberg has a guardian angel. Uh, and as we were driving on the freeway, I saw the angel get out and walk. <laughs> and, uh, <clears throat> In Matthew 18... There's a lot in this, a lot of wonderful teachings here. And there's teaching about if your brother has ought against you and, you know, all these kinds of things. But Peter asked the question, I'm so glad he asked it. He said, Lord, does there ever come a time where enough's enough? Right? You know, they're hurting me, they're hurting me, they're hurting me. Enough's enough. And would seven times a day be enough and say, that's it. I don't have to take any more from you. And I can just let them have it. And... Jesus said, no, Peter, 70 times 7, and that's a day. He's saying, Peter, whenever you're offended, forgive. Let it be the natural response from your heart to forgive, immediately just forgive the person who has offended you. And then he goes on and he tells a story and it starts with therefore. Whenever there's a therefore, you know it refers back to what was said. So Peter asked a question on forgiveness and Jesus said, Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king that loaned out a lot of money, went away and came back for an accounting. And he calls a man in and said, I've loaned you, if you look in your, if you have a, a, a newer Bible with newer... Uh, footnotes or marginal notes, you will see that he said, I loaned you $10 million. And that would be $10 million in silver, which has uh, greater buying power than 10, America, 10 million American dollars. And he said, I loaned you this money and you've never paid me back a cent. And I'm going to turn you over to debtor's prison. Do you know what a debtor's prison is like? It's like prisons in Mexico today. And I've had some, there were some missionaries that were in my office as prayer partners, and they said, boy, this, I'm explaining the prisons in Bible days. I said, exactly the same way. In Mexico, they're only required to keep you locked up, not to feed you and not to clothe you and not to take care of your needs. And these days, when you went to prison, when Paul went to prison, when he needed a coat, he didn't say, would you go down to the dispensary or whatever it is downstairs and bring me up a coat? Remember he wrote, please bring me a coat because I'm cold? If someone didn't bring him coats, if someone didn't bring him food, 
What about Bunyan? Remember his blind daughter and the ministry she had to her dad while he was in prison? We're the only people, or not the only people, but we, you know, Paul didn't have a TV and air conditioning. And so these people were being put into a prison and putting this man in debtor's prison, that was it. He wasn't going to make license plates and get a salary. It was the end. And his family, his wife couldn't go out and get a job. His children had become slaves if they weren't. It was an awful thing to happen. And he pleaded with this fellow, please, don't throw me in prison. I know I haven't paid you one penny of the $10 million, but be patient with me, and I promise you I will pay you back the whole debt. I mean, would you give, you know, I don't have a lot of credibility here. <laughs> but the fellow was what? Gracious. And he forgave the fellow $10 million debt. And he said, you don't have to pay me back a penny. You can leave. And that fellow left and he met a man that owed him a half day's wages. And he grabbed him by the throat and he was choking him. And he said, where is the money you owe me? And the fellow said, please be patient with me and I'll give you back all that, that, that I owe you. And let me tell you, there was a better chance of getting a half day's wages than it was getting $10 million. And we pick up there in, in Matthew 18.30, and it said, and he would not. The one who had been forgiven $10 million refused to forgive somebody that just had a little debt. But went and cast him into prison until he should pay back the debt, which would be totally impossible. So when his fellow servants saw what was done, they were very sorry, and they came and they told their Lord all that was done. Then his Lord, after that, he called him and said unto him, O thou wicked servant, I forgave thee all that debt because you desired me. Should you not have had compassion on your fellow servant, even as I had pity on you? And his Lord was wroth or angry and delivered him. Oh, pardon me. Yeah, pardon me. Let me read it. His Lord was wroth or angry and delivered him to the tormentors till he should pay back all that was due to him. That is not the period. Often when Jesus told stories or lessons like this, he allowed us to make our application. The prodigal son, you make the application, and you can make many applications, but the Lord said, I don't want you to make an application of this lesson. I will give you the application so you don't miss it. The next verse is the key. So likewise shall my heavenly Father do also unto you, if ye from your hearts forgive not everyone his brother their trespasses. That's heavy-duty teaching. What did he say? He said, if you refuse to forgive people that have hurt you, you will be delivered over to the tormentors. Who torments believers? The enemy. The enemy. So if I have unforgiveness in my heart, I open myself up. I give topos to the enemy. I give him ground to torment me. And if I'm dealing with someone and I try to pray the spirits off their life or away from them, and they're bitter, it will not work. They have a right to be there. Right? Biblically, they have a right. And some people say, well, um, you know, I'm a dispensationalist, and um, so am I whatever all that means, the Gospels. Oh, yeah, Jesus said that. That's not important. Let's go. We'll find Paul. But, I mean, you know, Jesus said it. That, you know, do you know that you can go to most theological seminaries and the life of Christ is an elective? Do you know that? Go to a Muslim school and see if the life of Muhammad's elective. In fact, I had a Presbyterian pastor who was... Uh, there's a large Presbyterian church not far from here. Well, this was the, the big one, the big Presbyterian church in this particular city. I don't want to tell you what city it was in. And I was teaching, and this pastor came to Bible school, and I thought, what in the world is this fellow, a graduate of Princeton, doing in my Bible class? Here is this older, mature fellow sitting with all these kids. You know, you know what a freshman in, high, uh, freshman in college is? Just one year older than a high school student. <laughs> you got all these kids sitting there, and here's this, this, this guy with his doctorate. 
And I, I came and said, why in the world are you sitting in the small Bible school with all these kids? He said, Jim, I'm a graduate of Princeton. And he said, you know, I went over to Africa recently for my church, and one of the missionaries led me to Christ. And he said, you know, in Princeton, the one thing we never studied was the Bible in seminary, and that's why I'm here in this Bible school, to study the Bible. So, I mean, some seminaries, they don't study the life of Christ, and they study scriptures. So I want you to go to Corinthians. Now, I'm not saying they're not doing that today. I don't know what they're doing today, but at that particular time, they weren't studying scriptures in that particular school. But I want you to go to 2 Corinthians chapter 2. Because, you know, a mouth and two or three witnesses, what does the scripture say? A fact is what? Established. And so we're going to have another witness here. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, Corinth was, was the, the, the sin. It's just a racked with all kinds of sin, and so was the church. And in the church there was a man living in an immoral relationship with his stepmother. And the church didn't know what to do. So they did nothing. And so Paul was so burdened, he wrote to the church, and he just said, you know, how can you fellows let this go on in the church, leaders of the church, let this sin go on in church, when this sin is offensive to the Corinthians? I mean, even the ungodly people are offended by this fellow's relationship. And they know about it, and you know about it, and you're doing nothing. He said, you need to church discipline this fellow. The only direction for church discipline in the New Testament is to deliver the offender over to demons. Did you hear me? Church discipline in the Bible, if you're going to follow it, delivers the offender over to demons. You just don't drop him off the wall. That they may learn not to blaspheme, that, they may, that the enemy may be used to correct defectors and bring him to repentance. And you read 1 Corinthians, he gives instructions, release this man to demons. He wants to live like the devil, then the church let him live like the devil. And the church pulls back what? Spiritual protection. This church no longer offers spiritual protection. You want to live an evil lifestyle, you want to live a wicked lifestyle, we release you to wickedness and we release you to spirits. And that's biblical. And the only two times in the Bible it talks about discipline, both times the people were released to spirits, wicked spirits. Now what happened, and that was 1 Corinthians, but what happened there is the fellow repented. And they said, now what do we do? If we take the back guy back into church, will we get 3 Corinthians? You know, what will happen here? You know, Paul was so upset. You know, what do we do with this repented fellow? They just weren't sure how to handle it. And so in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 10, Paul is addressing the issue now. What do you do when a fellow repents that was released? And Paul says, to whom ye forgive anything, I forgive also. You don't have to send a fax. You don't have to send me a letter. You don't have to try to find me. But listen, if you hear the man and you say he's repentant, I receive that. You don't have to check with me. And then he turns it around. He said, for if I forgive anything, to whom I forgave it for your sakes, forgave I in the person of Christ. He said, if I forgive someone, I know you'll receive it. Have you ever read the book of Philemon? What's it about? It's about a man by the name of Onesimus that comes to Paul in Rome and he sends a letter back and said, Receive him, the man has repented. That's, that's a, really a picture of this verse. Now that is not the end of the sentence. It's the end of the verse. Here's the key. Verse 11. Lest Satan should get an advantage of us for we're not ignorant of his devices. The sad part is so many believers are ignorant of his devices. If you are going to war, do you want the enemy to take advantage of you? Does it make sense? Does it make sense to go into spiritual warfare giving the enemy the advantage? What's going to happen? I'm going to be defeated. And what would give the enemy the advantage over my personal life? Holding what? Resentments in my heart. Having an unforgiving spirit towards anybody will give the enemy the right to begin to torment me as God's child. We're not talking about their salvation here. We're talking about being tormented as a believer. Now, that's all connected with this second step. And Jesus said, if you don't forgive from your what? Heart. Some people try to forgive from their mind. It won't work. 
do you forgive from your heart? Step one was to identify who hurt me and release them to God. What are the categories there? People have had horrible experiences in the public schools of being embarrassed and uh, terrible things were said to them. Embarrassed in front of the whole class that have held it all their lives. I mean, they had grown men sit and weep over their third grade experience of what a teacher did to them in front of everybody. You know, school, anybody at school, any educational experience that they had where they're still holding feelings and aren't right. The next one would be work experiences. You know, employment. Was there any employment where you're holding bad feelings towards anybody you work for or worked with? The fifth one would be church. A lot of people have been hurt at church and are holding resentments in their heart towards a pastor, towards elders, or towards another brother or sister in the church because of what happened to them at some time or other. I think I covered them all. Family, friends, education, um, church, work. Okay, I think that's the categories. And then we asked the person there, we asked this one thing, we said, Have, do you know that as you made your list, there are two people that are usually left off every list. Do you know who they are? And they go, that's the same two people. They said, mother and dad. I said, no, you got them first here. Most everybody has mom and dad first on the list. If it's a wife, it's usually her husband. If it's a husband, it's usually his wife. So you know what's dangerous about a close relationship? It's the most vulnerable relationship we have. If you care about somebody, the potential of being hurt by them is pretty high, isn't it? But I can tell you this. It's worth the risk. It's worth the risk. So some of us build walls, and we put broken glass on top of the wall, and then we put those steel things and then that barbed wire. We don't want anybody to get close because I want to be hurt. I just have this wall because of the hurts I had. I had a wall. I did that to my wife. Would not allow her to get very close to me because of all the bitterness and resentment I carried in my heart for years. And one of the things that made me really bitter is I went to this seminar by um, Bill Gathard in the 60s. And he had the nerve to say, I was pastor in my second church. You know what he said? He had the nerve to say this. He said that God put me in my family. God wouldn't do that to a person like me. Why would God put a kid like me in a family like that? And all the hurt and pain. I was inferior. I couldn't speak to crowds. I feared rejection. I couldn't speak. I couldn't do this. This is not a very big crowd. But if this crowd had been too big, because someone here may not like what I said, and I couldn't handle it. And if someone was sitting here and went, that'd be it. I'd have probably walked off crying. So don't do this to me. Stop it. Stop it. <laughs> But I know, I mean, it was terrible. And I thought, you know, I, I, there's so much I could have done in my life if only I hadn't been put in that family. If only I hadn't had a dad like that. If only, you know, all the if onlys. And so I was bitter towards Bill Gathard. I mean, he might as well be on my list. I had a whole bunch of people there. I might as well have him on there to have the nerve to say that because God was, my God was loving, gracious. He'd never do that. And I had to deal with that. God did put me in that home. I never knew I was going to end up as a full-time counselor and how many people I can sit there and empathize with I know how they're hurting I know what's going on I've been there I know the pain I know the fear of rejection I know what it's like you know you know they have the term dysfunctional family ours wasn't dysfunctional because I think you have to function to be dysfunctional <laughs> I don't know what, they, what you'd call ours but I've been there and I understand and I can say I've hurt too and Christ was enough. You know, when I was biblical, God healed me. God healed my hurt. God healed my pain. And so, to forgive from your heart is to get in touch with the pain that these people caused you. People are not bitter for no reasons. And if you try to just say, oh yeah, I forgive my dad, I forgive this person, I forgive that person, it's not going to work. Because you're bitter for reasons. And if you don't release those reasons to God, you'll never release the bitterness. Do you hear what I'm saying? You've got to get in touch. You've got to get in touch with why you're bitter and give God that list. And sometimes it can be long. 
Now what happens after I initially got free from my bitterness? I'd be sitting in my office and someone would say, you know my dad did this. And I would remember, you know my dad did that too. You know what I do right there? I say, Lord, I forgive him for this. You don't have to deal with what God doesn't bring to your mind. You just have to deal with what God brings to your mind. But there may be a lot more underneath that. And God may allow some more things to come up. And when they do, release it. And when they do, release it. And one day I trust that nothing will come up in my life. But if it does, I know what to do with it. I'm not going to hold on to it. I just give it to the Lord and say, Lord, I include this and I include this in my life. Now, but some of you may have not been hurt like that. I mean, you've been hurt over 18 years or 20 years or 25 years. There's a lot of pain down in there. And it's hard to get in touch with that pain. And usually this day that we deal with people, this is the, uh, the second or third day we get into this, the person will weep and cry because it's so painful even to think about the pain that took place and they're holding on to all this resentment and they're trying to release all this to God. So that is the second step. The third step now is found in Ephesians chapter 4. And this is the most difficult one of all, if it applies. As the introduction to this chapter, I ask people this question. I say, if you want to be successful in spiritual warfare, which member of the Godhead must you have a right relationship with? And if it's a spiritual battle, which, which member I've got to have a right relationship with? The Holy Spirit, right? If I'm battling in a spiritual battle, and Paul said we all do, then I need to have my heart right with the Spirit of God. Now, you, I know you can't have your heart right with be out of fellowship with the Holy Spirit and be in fellowship with Christ. But let's look here, because if people think they are in fellowship, and what's he say in Ephesians 4.30? And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God. Grieve is to cause pain and suffering. Don't cause the Holy Spirit suffering, whereby you're sealed unto the day of redemption. So if you and I are grieving the Holy Spirit of God, we will not be successful in spiritual warfare. It won't work for us. Because the power will not be there. Because the Holy Spirit's working on me now. That I would get right. What grieves the Holy Spirit? Verse 31. Let all bitterness. How much bitterness can I hold on to? Zero. None. Let all bitterness. Let all wrath. Let all anger. When men call me on the phone and they're struggling with wrath and anger, I know that basically there's one or two root problems. The first root problem you think of is what? Bitterness. God puts it in the list here. That when I'm bitter, there's going to be anger in my life. And, 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 and wrath. The second is moral failure. So a guy says, oh, Logan, I'm struggling with terrible anger. Can I ask you a personal question? And I know they're ready to duck. I said, I don't know who you are. Can I ask you a personal question? You know, how are you doing morally? And some men will break down and cry, I'm a mess. I said, the problem's really in anger. The problem's your morals. When a Christian man is violating God's moral standards, he's angry with himself. Why can't he get a handle on this? Why am I being defeated? My wife doesn't know. My kids don't know. But I'm being defeated. I've got a secret sin, and I'm just being defeated over and over and over and over. And he just constantly angry at himself and the anger comes out. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. Put it off. Verse 32. What am I to put on? Be ye kind one to another. Tenderhearted what? Forgiving one another. How? Even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. How has God forgiven us? 50% and then we're going to roast for a while somewhere? Or has God forgiven you 100%? Anybody here haven't been 100% forgiven? It's the only kind of forgiveness God has. We've been totally forgiven in Christ. And he said, we're to forgive others. Let me put it this way. God says this. I have forgiven you an eternal debt. I want you to forgive temporal ones. You know, the 10 million and a half days wages. God has forgiven us everything. And we're to exercise that towards others. What is the third step? The third step is this. 
It's a willingness to live with the ongoing consequences of the offender's actions. Or, you could add, a willingness to live with the offender who hasn't changed, who's going to continue to offend. I'll give you an easy story. Let's say there is a, a girl that gets involved with a fellow and he says, prove that you love me. And when he says that, you know he doesn't love her. And so she proves it and she says, you know, um, I'm going to have a child. And he says, but that's not in my uh, plans. And there's a place down here, downtown Dallas, and we can take you down there and 15, 20 minutes to take care of you. And uh, you, you know, get rid of the glob and go on, line. I mean, go back to college and go on or back to high school and go on. So they go to this family planning or whatever they call those places where they do the abortions and she has an abortion. Well, this girl becomes a believer and she realizes what? It wasn't a glob. It was a baby. And she's grieved. And she prays. She tells God that she's sorry that she lowered her standards for this fellow. She's grieved because how she took care of that consequences of that sinful action by destroying that child. And she asked God to forgive her. Will God forgive someone for taking the life of a child? Really? Yes. But after she receives forgiveness, this is going to sound hard and cruel, the baby is still dead. Do you understand what I'm saying? There's ongoing consequences to sin. And there's going to be times I love uh, my wife and I were up at Mayo Brothers Clinic and we stayed in a motel and we were flipping on for uh, Sunday religious programs and there was an advertisement by um, uh, as soon as I say it if you've watched it on TV you'll know we, we, cause, um, it was um, uh, this guy was an insurance man and so all this insurance and it was a woman standing at a park and there was a baby swinging or something. The, uh, what was it? DeMoss Foundation. I had an opportunity meeting Nancy DeMoss, who is in the ATIA program, or was, anyway, Nancy, who runs that whole foundation and all these millions of dollars and pays for all that. Nancy's is an outstanding girl. And the woman, the swing is swinging, and there's sort of like an invisible kid in it. And she says, now he'd be this old, and now he'd be that old. And see, there's some things you just don't get away from, right? And when that comes to your mind, what do you do when you have returning guilt? And you ought to write this down. This can help so many people. When I, you know, the, there's things that happened in my life that I wish never happened. And you know what you ought to think about? Tell them, don't think about it. What's going to happen? That's all you think about. Do you ever try to not think about something? No, the thing you don't want to think about becomes a focus. That's not what God wants you to do. When you have a memory, whether it's coming from Satan as the accuser, look what you've done, or God or whatever's going on here, that's not really the issue. What you want to do is say, God, I want to thank you for remembering what happens when I run my own life. And right now, I want to rededicate my life to the Lord Jesus Christ. Because I know when he is in control, I won't make those kinds of decisions. Isn't that right? When the Lord is running our life, we don't destroy our lives. We have life, real life. And the enemy wants me to take up the reins of my life. And every time he accuses me of the past, yes, it happened. And I know the kinds of things I'm capable of doing. And I just thank God I didn't do worse. And right now I rededicate myself. What does the enemy want me to get my focus off of who? Christ. Remember what he said? And he wants our focus on something else. Myself, my past, or whatever. And what am I going to do? Am I going to get into that? No, I'm going to get back to Christ. I'm going to end up with that attack with my focus on Christ and thanking Him and telling Him to run my life. And I'm going on again because I'm looking where I ought to be looking. Not within, but looking to Him, unto Jesus. Now, let me give you up an ongoing consequences. I got a telephone call from a person, and since this tape is going all over, I'm going to make this real generic. I... Uh, because I'm not telling where this tape will go. 
But uh, I got a telephone call from a person, and uh, this person was having tremendous depressions for years and had been to every clinic, had been all over to everybody and pleaded with me, please let me come and I want to see you. And I said, I don't know why, you, I, I don't know what I would do. I mean, you've had all the medications and that didn't work, you know, all the different meta drugs and stuff, none of them worked. I said, I, I don't know what to do. And I don't see why coming here is going to help you. you. You've seen some of the best guns in America. So I know that I'm still having these horrible depressions and they just don't go away. And I said, okay, I, I guess you can come. So I let him come and he came. And uh, just before he came on a Friday, his wife called and said, is it all right if wives come with their husbands? And I said, sure. And uh, she said, I know why he's depressed, but he doesn't know why. Well, curiosity gets the cat Curiosity got Eve, and Curiosity got Logan on Friday. I mean, could you just hang up and say, oh, that's nice. And I said, would you explain that? I mean, how can you know why your husband's depressed? And he doesn't know why. She said, well, my husband has a low sperm count. And uh, we were praying that God would open and close the womb, and we know children are the heritage of the Lord, and that God can cause conception. And I'm going to be generic here. And uh, we've had a number of children that um, my husband has um, rejoiced over. But what he doesn't know is that these children have been fathered by somebody else. And I had your reaction. And I thought, oh, I get the privilege of telling this man the children he thinks are his are not his. So I I don't know what I said. Anyway, I hung up the phone, and I was sick in my heart. I know the scripture says, He that tarries will not tarry. But I prayed he would hurry it up and come. That's the rapture. <laughs> <laughs> this weekend will be just fine. You know, if you're waiting for one more to agree, <clears throat> here it is, Lord. Take me home. I don't want to be here on Monday. I don't want to tell this person this. I have four children. I don't know what I would do if someone told me these kids weren't mine. I don't know how I'd handle it. And um, so they came in on Monday. I was sick all weekend. You see why we need prayer partners? You know, we need prayer partners. We need people to pray for us and give us wisdom. I was so sick and I was so nervous. They came in and sat down and, and, this, um, and these were people in Christian ministry. And this person looked at me and said, um, the husband looked and said, boy, you're sure nervous, aren't you? I said, I sure am. <laughs> I said, I am really nervous. And he said, is it about the kids? And I said, yes. He said, my wife told me. And as he went through these steps, first he had identified the people that hurt him. It was pretty obvious. You knew who'd be high on the list, wouldn't you? And that was fairly easy to release those people to God. The second thing he had to deal with was, was the, the pain, you know, the why. And that was fairly easy. And he saw himself as partially responsible, caught up in work, you know, always gone, uh, not providing the, the spiritual protection, not providing the love for his wife, that he opened her up to be vulnerable to someone else. He saw that. He dealt with all of that. But the hardest part of forgiveness was a willingness to accept these children in a way. God could forgive all of this, but there were still children sitting at his table as constant reminders they weren't his. And when they would need braces as they didn't have enough money, or when they went to college and they, you know what I'm saying? How again and again and again that could come up and could come up and come up. See how the enemy could bring it up again? What did he have to do? Every time the enemy tried to bring the consequences of that sin up, what did he have to do? Release it to God. Because if he didn't, what would happen? He would get bitter all over again. And some of you are in those situations 
where there's ongoing consequences, there's no way that you can stop the consequences of what's going on. Or you're in a relationship that if you forgive your partner today, you know when you go home tonight, they're going to do it over again. They're going to say those things. They're going to be cruel. They're going to be mean. And you're going to be hurt all over again. And I want to tell you, keep short accounts with God. Look at, in Ephesians 4 here, it says, Be angry and sin not, let not, verse 26, Let not the sun go down upon your wrath, neither give topos to the devil. I looked this up in the Greek. I was hoping, sun going down on your wrath. I was hoping he was meaning new moons, you know, that, you know, the moon, you get this, the moons and we get 30 days to deal with this. But I looked up in the Greek and it was not encouraging, friend. The Greek says sun goes down means sun goes down. Now, if you're in Alaska when I was up there, it was really nice because the sun doesn't go down. <laughs> you want to be bitter, go to Alaska. <laughs> At least for the summer. <laughs> it just gets twilight and then it gets light again. <clears throat> you know, that's the guys that strain the gnats and swallow camels, you know, isn't it? The, the ones that go to Alaska so they'd be bitter. Sun really didn't go down. You still see light. You know, you know what God is saying? Keep short accounts. Someone said this, sanity is learning to live a day at a time. It's a good statement. Sufficient is the evil of today. Deal with it today. If someone hurts you today, and, and you're real people. we got a fellow here in the front row, and, and God did a marvelous thing. It was amazing. And how I tried to get him, and phone rang, and must have had the wrong number. But if I stepped on his foot, and he's a mature man, and he's got a good education, and he said, ouch, and I said, be spiritual. <laughs> he's saying, Logan, that hurt. Right. You're going to be hurt, friend. You're going to be hurt, aren't you? People are going to step on your feet, and it hurts. So I'm not saying try to, to protect yourself from hurts, but when you're hurt, what are you going to do? Will you release it to God? If not... You start giving topos to the enemy and he'll begin to torment your life. All of us will be hurt. All of us. And that's the thing I feared more, if I have any fear of writing this book, is I didn't want to do it. I was asked two or three years ago to write a book and I said, Moody Press, so would you write us a book? And I said, no, I thought you were supposed to write a book and then try to find a publisher. I don't have a book. I'm not a writer. I don't want to write a book. And they said, okay. When I got back from Guatemala, two other publishers had called and asked, would you write a book? And I'm going, if I write a book, then all these people will attack me. You know, you know the people that are writing these books about all these screwballs, and I'll be one of the screwballs in the books now. They've somehow missed me. And <clears throat> I feel good being missed. And I just don't like being attacked by these Christian attackers. And um, so I called Moody again, and they said... Yes, I said, well, the two other publishers have asked me to do it, and I'm kind of slow, but it must be of God. Because it's not something I want to do, and you're asking me to do this. Maybe God wants me to write a book. And, um, but I know it, it, it's one thing. It's something my wife is dreading. And I've got, in fact, the, the fellow who is coming today to give these chapters to, he's going to give me the last chapters of the book to go over. And uh, I dread it, so pray for us. You know what I'm saying? I just... I just don't like to be attacked. It's just not my... Uh, I've come a long ways, brother and sister. But i got a long ways to go. And I just would hate to be reading myself in these literatures that... You know, there's a Neil and uh, Protect Yourself from Neil Anderson kit. Uh, that you can get videos and, and tapes and all this stuff so you don't get caught up in this false teaching. And, you know, that kind of thing. And I just... There'll be a Protect Yourself from Logan. <laughs> I can just say it. So just pray. If this is of God that... The book will come out, and it'll be a blessing. And people will be able to read it, and by reading it, come to freedom. That's the whole thing. And we're willing to hurt, and we're willing to suffer. If that's what God wants, if it'll heal anybody. So, get in touch with the pain, and be willing to live with the ongoing consequences. Johnny Erickson Tata struggles with this. There's ongoing consequences to her situation. And you know she can't do anything. She's a very gracious and a very uh, wonderful gal. If you've never heard her in person, it is an experience. I'll tell you, God just flows from this gal in the glow of God. You, you forget she's in a wheelchair and she can't even move. I mean, I didn't realize how little she could move until I saw her in person. I mean, she can barely move her hand. That's all. She'll never wipe her nose, ever in her life. 
She'll never be able to flick a fly off her face. She's always got to ask someone else to do it. You think that would be easy? Do you? No. And there's times she gets these pressure sores from the wheelchair, and they've had, she's had her bones sawed and shaved and all that stuff, but she still gets them. And she has to lay sometimes for five to seven weeks on her stomach for those sores to be healed and can't move. And then the enemy can come and say what? Well, God knew the log was there. And if you only would have done over here, you know, all of that kind of stuff, then all of a sudden she can become what? Resentful and depressed. And she has to release it. There's ongoing things in her life she has to deal with. And all of us have that. And we have to learn to let go of it to God that we might be spiritually healthy. And then I want to share one more thing before we break for lunch. And that's in 1 Samuel. I'm sure that there are people, 1 Samuel 15, I'm sure there are people that have this problem, <clears throat> but basically we don't see it in our counseling uh, with an adult. Teenagers, yes. Adults, no. But I want to warn you on this. And it's 1 Samuel 15, 22, and 23. And this is the next area in which gives ground to the enemy. And this is Samuel speaking to Saul. Samuel said, Saul, Hath the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and hearken to the fat of rams. Saul, do you realize that rebellion is as, the word is like, he didn't say rebellion is, but is as the sin of divination or witchcraft. And stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Because you rejected the word of the Lord, he rejected thee from being king. This is God's principle of protection. It's the principle of authority. Romans 13 says there's no authority but that which is ordained of God and that authority protects me. I was overseas. I was in Nigeria when they had a coup or an attempted coup to kill the president. One day I was walking the streets of Kaduna and you'd see a few service people out, you know, police, uh, military men. The next day there's tanks, machine guns, submachine guns everywhere. And I don't know if you've noticed or not but I don't look like I am a Nigerian. <laughs> and it's pretty easy to pick me on the streets that this fellow is a foreigner and doesn't belong. They said, if you're on the streets at sundown, you'll be shot. So I thought 12 noon is a good time to go in. <laughs> I don't know when sundown is around here. But it was not comfortable. Blackout on television and radio, nothing. We didn't know what was going on. All I knew is if I was on the streets, whenever they called sundown, I'd be shot. And it was a very creepy experience to have no government at all. Or you didn't know. Let me tell you, poor government is worse than anarchy. I mean, it's better than anarchy. You, you with me? Poor government provides protection. A church provides, so there's many protectors. You know, a church, government, work, God, family, a husband. All these things provide protection. They're God's protectors providing spiritual protection in our life. And rebellion is setting aside that authority and moving out from that protection. It's like living on the wrong side of what? The wall. The wrong side of the fort. Moving out. God had provided the fort of protection and I don't want that and I move out. Now, we have people bring their children and they say, Mr. Logan, help my son, help my daughter. They're rebellious. And they kind of give them a shove. They want to see you. And the kid sits there and looks at me with hatred. I'm going, you really want to be here, don't you? No. <laughs> I don't. You know, I said, we're going to straighten you out. You lay on the floor. I'm grabbing your foot. My prayer partner is grabbing your arms. We're going to pull hard. <laughs> now you're straightened, you know. Leave, healed. That's about all we can do for a kid that doesn't want to be helped, right? I mean, we sometimes want our children help more than they want to be helped. And let me tell you, until God puts it in their heart that they're a mess, you know, I'm not going to have cancer surgery unless I'm going to have cancer. And you need to pray, Lord, let my son or daughter know what a problem they really are, the struggle they're having. And my next prayer, I got a tremendous testimony of a father who had a rebellious boy, and this boy has now gone into a lifestyle of perversion. Uh, and this, as soon as he was 18, 
And this father was holding on to the boy, trying to straighten him out, and wouldn't let go of him, wouldn't let go of him. And he's written this testimony, and he said, Jim, if it helps anybody, send it out. And I'm sending it out in the next prayer letter. He said, I wonder how many fathers of rebellious kids are trying to straighten him out themselves. You've got to straighten him out. We can't let you live a love like this. You can't go out here and live. After all, I have a position in the church. I'm an elder and all of this stuff. And he said, I just could not seem to release him to God. And now he's released him to God. And he has so much freedom in his life. The boy's a mess. He said, either God's going to bring him to the end of himself or God's going to take his life, one or the other. But we've released him to God. God, you do with my boy what you need to do. He knows. In fact, the boy said, if I ever get my life straightened out, I want to give my testimony to kids in church not to do what I've done. But I don't know if I'm ever going to get straightened out. Because they buy a lie. And that is, his perverted problem is bad genes. And the only bad genes I know are sold at Walmart. <laughs> it's not a gene problem. It's a sin problem. And the boy has to come to grips with, this is what? Sin. If it's genes, I have no problem. It's not my problem. What can I do? What can I do? I'm six foot one and God's going to stone me to death. That's a genetic thing. Sin is not genetic. Although there are inequities, we want to take those up after lunch. The inequity situation, but this, this sin thing is choices and so on that he's made. Okay. Now, when parents come in and say, help my rebel, let me give you this. We've got to distinguish between three things with our children. Or we hang a tag on them and kids will live up to the tag. Foolishness. Disobedience and rebellion are three different issues the Bible talks about with children. Now let me give you an illustration. Let's say you have a rule that you cannot play Nerf basketball in the living room. And so a kid comes over and your son's there and a kid says, here catch, and he throws him the Nerf basketball and your son reaches over to grab it and breaks the lamp. Is he rebellious? What was that? That's foolishness. Just they shouldn't have done it, and I'm not saying don't discipline for it because they're told not to do it, but it was, there was no thought there. It just, they just did it. That's foolishness. The second day, the kid comes home and says, here, catch the ball. And the kid goes, we can't do it. Dad's got a rule. We've got to play with Nerf downstairs in the family room. Just once. Okay. So he throws it. He breaks the lamp. Is that rebellion or is that disobedience? That's disobedience. The next day, the kid comes over and he says, here, let's uh, play Nerf basketball. And he said, oh, we can't. My, my dad's got a rule here that we can't do it in, in, in the living room. He said, you know what? Your dad hasn't got a right to tell you what to do. What is that? That's rebellion. Rebellion is challenging the right of an authority to be an authority. That's rebellion. This man will not rule over us. So in a family, let me give you this for just quickie little family guidance. If you have rules in your family, don't have so many rules that nobody knows what they are. God gave some rules that were ten of them. And let the kids know the consequences of breaking the rules. And whoever sees the child break the rule, deals with them. My mother used to say, wait till your father gets home. And we would pray for his death, you know. We didn't want dad to get home. So dad says, I'm home. And the kids go, oh, what is going on in my Christian family? All the kids are running and hiding. And that's not fair. Yeah, when, when whoever sees a rule broken, mom or dad, is the one that needs to deal with it. But if a child says, you don't have a right to tell me what to do, then mom, you need to say, this is so serious. We're going to have to deal with it with Dad when you get home because you're challenging his God-given right to be the head of this family. That's serious. Because that's rebellion, and that is the sin of getting involved in witchcraft. And we have kids involved in witchcraft that come to us that have upside-down crosses on their arm where they take razor blades and cut those crosses to get blood that they drink their blood covenants to Satan from their arms and just all kinds of unbelievable mutilation in their body to get blood and God said that is the same thing same as those kids the darkness that they're into and the terrible things they're doing in darkness rebellion is the same type of thing and can't you see the enemy just pushing kids towards rebellion today because if he can get your son or daughter to rebel 
He's really going to come on them with all kinds of destructive things because they're out from under your protection, your spiritual protection. They're there. They don't want it anymore. And the enemy will come at it. But as an adult, let me give you one adult thing and then we'll stop with this. Just in case you don't have kids and you can't relate to the kid's story. Let's say that uh, you're driving home today and uh, I don't know if Dallas has a, a very pretty area to drive in. Um, you know, freeways are not very pretty. They look like freeways anywhere in the world. But, you know, some place that's real pretty. If you just picture of driving along a river and then you're just driving along and you're playing uplifting Christian music and, and it's just a wonderful time and all of a sudden a policeman pulls you over. You know, Oh, wow. He said, you know, you were going 70 and 55 miles an hour. I said, no, I wasn't paying any attention. What was that? Foolishness. And then you're coming here, and you're going, boy, we're late. Your wife says, honey, you know we're going uh, 70 and 55? Yeah, but we'll get there on time. And all of a sudden, what was that? Disobedience. Then your wife says, honey, do you know that you're going 70 and 55? And he says, I pay my taxes. Nobody's telling me how to drive. It's rebellion, isn't it? That's amazing. Most of the Christians that come to me, the adults, rebellion is not an issue, but there may be a rebellious issue in their life. They gave ground to the enemy through rebellion as a teenager or a preteen or in their early college life. If that's in your life, then you need to confess that to God and ask God to take back the ground. The same in the bitterness. After you forgive all those people, say, Lord, I realize that I've given great ground to the enemy through my bitterness. And I'm asking you to take back the ground that I've given to the enemy and through rebellion. And then we'll take up the worst sin a Christian can commit right after lunch. The sin that you will all, if, you, if this is in your life, I will guarantee that you will continually live a defeated Christian life. Father, thank you for this morning and the things that we, we've covered we're thankful for your word that has not left us ignorant of Satan's devices, but that we can see how the enemy works and how areas of our life, if we don't line them up with scripture, become a point in our life where the enemy can come in and bring very destructive kinds of temptations. So thank you, Father, for your word and that the entrance of your word gives light. Father, may we not reject the light because Jesus said if the light rejected, that light will become darkness. And then how great is that darkness? So, Father, we thank you for giving light. And may you shine that light upon our path. And may we see if we're walking in truth or we've been walking in deception or the lies of the enemy. And just continue to speak to our hearts that we might get right with you and that your spirit would be able to work in our lives and through our lives unhindered. We ask this that you would be glorified. Amen. I believe there's somebody that's going to come.